Okay, great. I believe it's recording now. Thank you so much for your patience. (laughs) No problem at all. Great. So we're from Red All Over, a Handmaid's Tale podcast, and we are so excited to talk with you today about Season 3, Episode 5, Unknown Caller, a great episode. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak to you as well. I I was new on uh, the show, The Only New Writer, Season 3, and I listened to your podcast <laughs> when I was oh, catching no. up, like, in the very beginning. I was like, okay, i got to, like, read the book 12 more times and listen to all the podcasts and read all the recaps. And, like, so you're, you, I love your podcast. It's great. The, I think I'm pretty so sure the whole room listens to it. I mean, I don't want to say that, like, I think for everyone, but we reference it occasionally. <laughs> well, goodbye. I have to shoot into the sun for happiness now. That is bonkers. Uh, well, I appreciate it. We're certainly enjoying the content y'all are putting out. Great. So. Good to hear. Lord. Well, you know, it wouldn't hurt to slip in some inside jokes next season, just saying. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, <laughs> well, that's funny. I actually had a question about your first season. I noticed uh, when they were doing sort of the social push promoting the um, the writer's room this season, mm-hmm. yeah. I noticed that the picture of you comes with the caption that you always cry every time Hannah's oh. name is brought up in the room. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I, you know, I'm adopted and oh. I'm, I'm biracial. And I also have a daughter who is, you know, multiracial. Um, and so, though, you know, I see little me. She looks a lot like me when I was a little girl. And um, I think of my daughter and it just kills me because I also think of Hannah with her, you know, she's Mrs. McKenzie is not her adopted mother, but in Mm -hmm. her mind she is. And so it just breaks my heart. Um, And especially because, you know, being the new writer starting at the end of season two, we were already in the room and just seeing the fans reactions. And so even like friends of mine would come over and be like, how could she? Why did she leave? What's wrong with her? She's so stupid. I'm like, dude, Hannah, like, what is, what is wrong yeah. with you? And she's going to leave her, her brown daughter and take her white daughter. Sorry. Like, wow, that's so the perspective that's I hadn't thought of. Yeah, that's just, that's something I obviously just because I am brown, like, I thought yeah. of a lot. And I was so glad that she didn't leave her. Um, but I get, you know, I get the, the, the vibe, but. Yeah, it's just, it's personal to me, <laughs> you know, totally. the characters. I take it personally, and I love her so much. Every time I see her on screen, I just, my heart breaks. I feel for her. I feel that, too. And I have to say, I'm a, you know, a, a brown person myself, and uh-huh. I think it's so interesting to see how the show has handled the inclusion of people in color, especially since Margaret Atwood is, like, very direct of, like, oh, yeah, yeah there were no people of color. Yeah. So. <laughs> I really think I want to commend the writer's room, and I think it's because they do their due diligence and hire people of color to write, but just of trying to handle a world that didn't originally have people of color in it and handle it. I, I genuinely think better and better each season, so right on. Thanks for being there. Right. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. So I have a question, too, about this episode. It's really great. Who do you think is your favorite character to write for? Well, I... I mean, I okay, I have two favorite moments or scene sequences. Um, one was with uh, Serena and Luke in the airport. 
That is, to this day, one of my favorite scenes I've ever written of every, you know, produced hour of television, in addition to all the movies I've written that have yet to be made. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was just so exciting to be in a writer's room and then to get the assignment and then to know that I could write a five or six page scene, which is usually oh. frowned upon, if yeah. not cut in half. And to just we that's what I love about this show is that they take their time and they really let what would happen unravel and unfold um, authentically. And they see every character like Serena as a human being, not a monster, mm-hmm. not a villain. In her mind, she is the hero of her own story and she is mm-hmm. that child's mother. And I, I loved writing that scene and, and really um, seeing this new side of her. And it was obviously very personal to me um, as an adoptee, and I tapped into a lot of of my experiences um, prior to being a mom and post being a mom because my my uh, my uh, point of view has changed a little bit. Um, But then writing, you know, writing for June um, is obviously so much fun, um, challenging, but I, I got to write a, a monologue and it was much longer. It was cut a lot um, in episodes for time. Um, and obviously a lot of it was pulled from the book, um, but it was just so much fun to get to write the monologue. And then I went on set and workshopped it with um, Lizzie who wanted some adjustments. And that was just really fun to be able to collaborate with her. She's mm-hmm. so smart. So I think for this, um, for my first episode, you know, writing for Serena in June, it was really it was so much fun. Yeah, and I particularly appreciate your handling of Serena, who's my favorite character, and I, I like <laughs> get very salty when she gets maligned. Yeah, so I appreciate the handling there. Um, so uh, speaking of sort of characters and their motivations, the thing that I keep thinking about is the Lawrence household and how – I have a feeling, you know, we are due for a big revelation about them. But uh-huh. I just want to say, like, when you're writing for, uh, gosh, I keep calling him Joey Lawrence, but when you're writing <laughs> for <laughs> Commander Lawrence and his wife, what sort of things do you think about when you think about what drives them and what informs how you write their character? Because there's a sort of C-plot in this episode, but I really appreciate their, their C-plot here. Yeah, they're um, challenging. For me, yeah. that was the most challenging storyline um, mm-hmm. was, was anything with Lawrence because yeah. he is such a complicated person. And as the season unfolds, we will get to know a lot more about him, what motivates him, mm-hmm. what pains him, what angers him. <laughs> and so it was really just, for me, seeing them as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And for a moment not thinking about Gilead. And it was actually in this episode, it was really about relationships and communication and who you are before and after a major traumatic event. And for June and Luke, it's obviously before Hannah's kidnapped, Luke is, you know, shot, June is taken away. For Serena, it's before and after Nicole. And Mm -hmm. for Commander and Mrs. Lawrence, it's before and after Gilead. You know, they Mm. were a couple before, and she obviously has some conflicting feelings about him before and after and and present day. And I like that June sort of reminds her that he's still the same guy that she Mm. fell in love with, whoever that guy was. (laughs) And there's something that she loved about him. And even if it's just to survive, 
trying to tap into that. So for me, it was really just looking at them as a couple and forgetting for a moment, you know, that he is one of the architects of Gilead and that right. she's complicit in all of these horrible, horrible things and just thinking about them as a couple. Yeah, it, that's so interesting that you put it like that because when you, you say it's about couples remembering what's at the core of their relationship, it means this episode really tees up uh, the next episode yeah. so well because it's that's about Fred and Serena's relationship. So, yes. wow, just masterfully done. Yeah, um, thanks. So let's talk about that, um, the importance of music in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Do you get to pick which music oh, is significant? No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. I mean, I of course, we definitely put our suggestions in. And music mm-hmm. is so, I mean, this show, one of the reasons I loved it so much, um, and when I went to meet with um, Bruce and mm-hmm. um, Kira and Nika, Kira, who's the co-AP, and Nika, who is an associate mm-hmm. producer, because um, I wasn't looking for a job that this came up, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm not looking to staff, but... If I, I could write on my favorite show, like, this would be a dream. And so I went in, I was talking to them about the music and how much I loved it. And it's so subjective, music. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love, I love what Bruce does. And it, Bruce is obviously, he, I, I think he's, he's the master. Um, mm-hmm. He has very strong opinions about the music. And he has such great taste. He loves, like, all these cool pop songs. And um, playing them against these very dark scenes often. Um, but, of course, we have a Spotify playlist that we all have access to and that we submit oh. songs that we like. And I am so, I love music. I have such an eclectic taste in music. And I have submitted a ton. None of them have made it to the show yet. But all the final cuts are not in. Well, oh. oh. <laughs> so I'm hoping, like, if I can get one and I will feel like I accomplished something huge this year. Well, I hope so, too, because something that we've been talking about, Kelly and I, this season is how juiced we get when female artists are represented in the show and it's a little sparse on the ground this season so far but in kind of doing research through your twitter feed i found out that you're a joanna newsome fan oh she'd be a great fit uh yes i agree (laughs) i agree um i'm a huge joanna newsome fan i mean my daughter is named partially after a joanna newsome song Oh, nice. So I'm I'm a bit of a fanatic. Yes, I would love some Joanna <laughs> some music. I think it has to um, has to be super super catchy and very quickly communicated the sort of vibe of the song with what fits on Handmaid's Tale. So it's finding yeah. that perfect song, and I have submitted one. And we'll, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> I have my fingers crossed. For Me you. too. <laughs> That's exciting. So we only have about 15 more minutes. So. Um, I wanted to ask you about the scene that takes place in this episode in the convenience store. And I'm talking mm-hmm. specifically right before June, oh, pardon me, right before Luke gets June's call, because it's such a small slice of a scene, but it's really delicious and there's a lot going on. So can you tell me about what goes into constructing that particular scene that comes right ahead of this big blow-up scene? And, like, what are things maybe we have missed or you know, nuance you wanted to impart there? Well, for this scene, it's, you know, part of some of this about him buying baby supplies for Mm -hmm. a baby that's not his Mm -hmm. and he'll later learn is, you know, has a 
a different father than he imagined yeah. just good and bad news. Um, mm-hmm. Good news is it's not horrible rapist Fred in his <laughs> mind. Uh, bad news yeah. is June reveals that, you know, she was in love with someone and made a baby. And now he has to, you know, deal with that, those feelings. And, you know, how does he look at Nicole? But, um, you know, it's simply about the expense and, 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 and also that very few people have that expense. And so that sort of, I was hoping there's just this moment of guilt of complaining that you have this baby when so few people have this baby, have a baby mm. um, to spend their, their few dollars, a few refugee dollars on. And, mm. um, it, you know, there was a scene, um, we were going to have a scene where Luke was warned about this video being um, in Gilead's hands. And so it would have had a different sort of flavor if you, if you guys would have seen that scene and known that Luke was already sort of paranoid. But that's what was in the script, that he was mm-hmm. a little paranoid, wasn't sure who was, you know, watching him, um, feeling a little annoyed about having to spend his money on this baby, loving Nicole, but still just mm-hmm. conflicted about that. So it's, it's all of these things happening at once. And then he gets... You know, this call from there's an unknown caller, and he's just sort of like, uh, really, do I, do I really want to answer this right now? Like, really, is this happening? And so it's it's a lot of things yeah. um, that was playing in that brief, that little slice. <laughs> that little I, yeah, I love that because my uh, sort of non-Gileadian view of the interaction between him and the cashier specifically was that, like, oh is this cashier another person shaming someone for using formula? And it, mm. I think what I'm getting from your take on it is that, no, he's reminding him that yeah. most people don't buy baby formula because most people yeah. don't have babies. Exactly, exactly. That was the intention there, yeah. That's well done. So we have about uh, three more questions to go. Okay. What do you think, and now that you've, you know, you've got your first episode out of the way, mm-hmm. what do you think makes, a Marissa Josarar episode? Like, what is your specific stamp? What was so, I, I feel like what was so exciting for me is I got to write a very emotional episode. And that is, I feel like, when I'm hired to write whatever it is I'm hired to write is where you get your money's worth. Um, mm. Is I am an extremely empathetic person. I have lived a pretty unique life. Um, so I, I have the ability to sort of step outside of myself. I'm like one of eight adopted kids and we're all sort of from different worlds. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've experienced a lot. And so for me, it's, it's super emotional, super character driven is what I'm best at. And I was mm-hmm. so lucky that this was my episode because it re- I had to plan uh, what I think are my strengths mm-hmm. and, um, and really being the scenes where June is recording the tapes it's just, it was just so, and I actually got to be there for the majority of my episode and some of the couple of episodes prior to mine. So it was great to be there and to see it. Um, but I think super emotional, character driven. And I, I think, you know, will make you cry. Hopefully. I always try, oh. I always try and make people cry <laughs> with whatever Bucket. I'm writing. So <laughs> Buckets of warm tears came out of my face <laughs> out of this episode. So you got one at the very least. And I think the same humanity and, and, um, every character, I really try hard to just think of them as human beings and not villainizing anyone. And I hope that that comes through in, in everything that I write. 
Well, absolutely. And the more I talk to you, the more I'm seeing what are the hallmarks of, of your writing is that you're writing as a woman of color and you're writing yeah. as an adoptee. And yeah. those are perspectives that are worthwhile, you know, in any show, but are especially applicable to The Handmaid's Tale. And yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so talking about being sort of an empathetic writer of this show, I know my my partner Kelly and I are empathetic watchers of this show <laughs> and sort of to balance out consuming so much of this, especially when we have to pre-record, we have to consume so much so fast. Mm-hmm. We have had to get really good at self-care yeah. <laughs> because otherwise yeah. we would be a mess. So I just wanted to know what kind of, what's your favorite form of self-care? Oh man, I don't have any. And I, it's currently, I've been told by my doctor, I need to, I, I need to start taking care of myself. Yeah. I mean, it's, Everything I've written, I wrote on the shows I wrote on before this and yeah. the, the pilots that I, you know, I'm currently hired to write and some of the features are so dark. Everything I write is yeah. pretty dark. And it's because I, I only work on things I care about. It's just absolutely, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, I, it's not about money right. to me. I will only take a job on something I really, truly care about and believe in. And so it's hard to get those moments um, where I'm really thinking about myself because I'm always thinking about the work I'm doing. But when I'm with my daughter, mm-hmm. that's my self-care because she is the purest thing. She makes me laugh when I'm just taking a walk with her, I think, is really when I'm just turning off the horrors of the world, the you know, true, the real world and the fictional world of Gilead or whatever it is mm-hmm. I'm writing. It's really just being with her and, like, focusing on 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 whatever her needs are in the moment. Um, I mean, that's a bad answer. I shouldn't no, say it's like, I get not. massages, but I don't. No, no, no. <laughs> we, uh, we talked to Dorothy Fortenberry last week, and she uh-huh. said her self-care is hanging laundry out to dry, oh my which God, is not no. something I would have thought of, but what a beautiful, wholesome thing. So there's no wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. Just like you deserve to be taken care of. You work really hard, and uh, that's something I want you to do. Um, so one more fun question, and then one question that's just for me. Uh, so another way we decompress from this show is we like to, you know, record a bunch of episodes about The Handmaid's Tale and then do a podcast episode about how much we love Legally Blonde. So uh, we love, like, girl movies, uh, uh-huh. sleepover movies, whatever. Do you have a favorite movie of that genre? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I am all about some campy girl movies. Teen yeah. Witch is... One of oh. it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest. How can you top <laughs> that? Movies of all time. Top that. Oh God, that rap. Oh my God, oh. it makes me so happy. And um, Troop Beverly Hills, just two yes. movies from my childhood um, that that are so ridiculous and just brighten up my day. Um, so yeah, those two are, are just I love eighties eighties bad movies that are so bad they're great. Well, see, maybe you should add I like boys. To the handmade scale playlist. Oh that would fit. I'm oh picturing Chris Maloney oh and uh, Commander Waterford, and then all of a sudden it's like I like boys. Oh my! I mean, I'm honest. I swear to God, I'm gonna put that on the on the Spotify list, and I will I will give you a shout out if that makes it. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you, thank you so much. I will set executive producer status. Uh, I appreciate it. Please name one of the mouthiest handmaids after me. Um, okay, great. Well, we're wrapping up here, and I just have one question that's just for me. Uh, I'm like, my dream job, I think, would be exactly what you're doing. I'd love to be a teleplay writer. I'd love to be a screenwriter. And I just had a super insider baseball question. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you got your start in a lot of ways, you know, writing these 
I mean, I think your your the list of things that you've written that have been on the blacklist is so impressive because it just <laughs> seems like hit after hit after hit. But I was wondering if you thought that spec scripts, like spec TV scripts, were still mm-hmm. a part of the process because I kind of am getting the word that they're falling a little bit out of vogue. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, like, should I be devoting my efforts into writing a big packet of specs or writing, like, my original ideas? I just don't know quite where to start. I think original ideas are where it's mm-hmm. at now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's what I've been hearing um, from various, like, agents, managers, mm-hmm. new students that are, like, fresh out of film school. It's really original ideas. And for me, like, I've... Even to this day, my sample, I think, that got me the meeting on Handmaid's Tale was a feature that I wrote, an mm, indie feature. Okay. It wasn't even a pilot. I had a pilot, but it wasn't even my pilot. And I think people really want to know what you're going to bring into the room, who you are. Like, the project that speaks to your voice and your point of view and what you have to say is the best calling card for you and I think right now because there's so many different there's so many avenues there's so many there's so many streaming systems and (laughs) premium channels and like stuff I've never like pop tv I don't know what pop tv is like (laughs) I mean there's there's a show for everyone and so I think whatever it is you want to say write it and write it as as badass as you possibly can (laughs) it's with a clear point of view because that's what's going to make you stand out right now is just Mm -hmm. having something to say and and so I I don't really know anyone who's writing specs right now that's just me and also like maybe my little circle that I Mm -hmm. that I swim in but I think Mm -hmm. writing your original idea oh I think having maybe one is fine but I I would devote the majority of your energy and your time because it is so time consuming to writing like that original idea that you love that like you know it it doesn't matter if it gets made or not it just gets you a job it gets you an interview it gets you in the door Okay. Well, that certainly buoys me for another week. I appreciate it. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, break a leg on every other project you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.